Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. What happens when God shows up? We know that the whole earth is full of his glory, so he's here, he's everywhere present all of the time. The Bible says that he will never leave us or forsake us, so we know he's closer to us than our own breath. But we've been asking ourselves this question, what happens when God shows up? <laughs> Over the last three or four weeks we've been asking that question, What happens when God shows up in a fresh way? I mean, when he reveals himself in a profound sense to his people. When when the scales fall from our eyes and we, we, we begin to see God differently and we experience him differently. When, when he breaks into our everyday lives and all of a sudden God comes alive to us. What happens when God shows up? Well, so far in our study, we've discovered that when God shows up, the beggars become rich. They repent of their sin. They believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of the riches of heaven and glory are afforded to them as children of God. So they're rich. Richer than they know. Richer than they can even imagine. The beggars become rich. The ordinary become extraordinary when God shows up because they begin to live by faith and walk by faith and live out the gospel. And that's an extraordinary kind of life. Not very common today. And when God shows up, the weary find refuge. And man, last week was sweet as we really sensed God descending in in our midst last Sunday morning. In addition to all of that, when God shows up, the wayward also find mercy. In those moments or those seasons of life when God's presence seems more real than it did yesterday or the month before or the year before, we often find mercy. We experience mercy, the mercy of God by His great grace. The the Pelicano is the world's most unwanted ship. It's the name of a a freighter. And for over two years, the Pelicano was the the hobo of the high seas. Nobody wanted her. She was turned away by 11 different countries. And the problem was not with the ship. The 466-foot freighter was altogether seaworthy. The problem was not ownership or the flag under which she was sailing. The problem was not the crew. The the Pelicano was the world's most unwanted ship because she was full of garbage. 15,000 tons of garbage. Banana peels, orange peels, beer bottles, newspapers, half-eaten hot dogs. All the trash of Philadelphia's long, hot summer of 1986. That's when Philadelphia's sanitation workers went on strike. That's when the garbage started piling up higher and higher. That's when Georgia refused the garbage and New Jersey declined it. Nobody wanted 
all of this garbage. And that's when the Pelicano entered the picture. The owners of the freighter thought that they could turn a quick buck by transporting the garbage. So the trash was burned, and all the ashes were dumped in the hull of the boat, but no one would take it. It was potentially toxic trash. So the plight of the Pelicano is proof that trash-filled ships find few friends. And the plight of the Pelicano is also a parable because trash-filled hearts don't fare any better. Life has a way of unloading her trash on our decks, right? You know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. Life has an uncanny way of unloading its garbage on our decks. Your, your husband works too much. Your, 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 your wife complains too much. And, and your boss demands too much. And your kids expect too much. Not mine, of course, but yours. And the result? Trash. Garbage. It all starts piling up, load after load of guilt and bitterness and anxiety and impatience and intolerance, and it piles up higher and higher. And you know, I think that's what happened to the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 15. I do. If you have your Bible or your Bible app handy with you this morning, please turn to the Gospel of Luke. It's in the New Testament. Uh, the first four books of the Bible of the New Testament are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Around here we call them the Jesus books because if you want to know anything about Jesus or learn about the life of Jesus, you have to go to the Jesus books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. So we're looking at Luke chapter 15 and picking up the story at verse 11 where Jesus is telling the story. He said, There's, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Don't read that too quickly. Remember, this guy is Jewish and the, the irony of the whole thing, the, the guy who hired him sends him out to the fields to feed pigs, this unclean animal that Jewish people were forbidden to eat. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he'd really reached the bottom. This is the story of the prodigal son. And Jesus begins the story by saying, There was a man who had two sons. It's Father's Day. And I believe in my heart of hearts that every father wants to see his children succeed. 
Every dad wants the very best for their kids, even if they don't know how, or even if they can't provide it. They want the best for their children. Every father wants the best for his kids. He wants his children to succeed at whatever they choose to do. But in this story, in this story, the younger son turns out to be a greedy young man who, who values pleasure more than he values the honor and integrity of his family. So he's a, he's a disappointment to his dad, humanly speaking. He's an embarrassment to some degree. He doesn't want to wait for his father to die to claim his inheritance. He wants it now. Give me my share of the estate now. His share would have been exactly one half of what the eldest brother got. See, the firstborn male always got half of the father's estate, no matter how large or how small it was, and the rest of the kids divided up what was left. And that's just, that's just the way it was in the Old Testament. Inheritance rights of the firstborn, Deuteronomy chapter 21. So he gets his share of the estate. The father responds to the son's request to divide up the estate and gives him his share to do with as he wants to do. To make his own choice to succeed or fail in the world, so be it. Tough choice. That father made a, a tough decision. So, so your kid turns 18. He's of legal age. And comes to you and says, I want my inheritance now. What are you going to do, Dave? <laughs> Dave's shaking his head. Ain't going to happen in my lifetime. Exactly. Because inheritance is supposed to be for not in your lifetime. It's supposed to happen after you die. But this kid wanted it now. He wanted it all now. You say, well, that's what the millennials are like. Yeah, and Gen X, and baby boomers, and every human being who ever lived. Selfish, self-centered, want it all now. Don't want to wait. So the boy made careless choices as young men sometimes do. He made, he took some wrong turns and he listened to some bad advice. And the text says in verse 13 that he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. That's pretty descriptive. Squandered his wealth in wild living. And the result? More garbage. More trash. Embarrassment. Shame. Sorrow. Remorse. Humiliation. I mean, this guy experienced all of that and more. You know, some of us, some of us have allowed the trash to accumulate in our lives, too. We know those. I know those feelings. I, I certainly do. Remorse, shame, embarrassment, been there, done that, got the scars to prove it. So the skeleton in one of yesterday's closets starts rattling louder and louder. 
The anchor that fell off your boat yesterday or the year before is now snagging and catching on the bottom. And it's causing you trouble. And we're all prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Everybody's prone to that. And maybe you come here today because you are wandering. You're wandering and looking for mercy. Looking for hope and looking for mercy. Maybe you come here today with piles of garbage stowed away in the hull of your boat. The younger son in Luke 15 just allowed things to pile up and he drifted farther and farther away from God and farther and farther away from his family. But one day, one day, by the grace of God, he came to his senses. Verse 17 says, When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So in coming to his senses, he realized that his sin was not only against his earthly father, but in the deepest sense possible, his sin was also against God, his father, because he dishonored and disobeyed his father. His sin was against God, the father in heaven, the, the king of the ages, the king of the universe. And we pick up the story in verse 20. So he got up, after he came to his senses, he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father would have none of it. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to party. They began to celebrate because this son had come home. While this greedy, rebellious, defiant son was still a long way off, the father looked out beyond the knoll in the road and saw his son coming. And his heart was filled with compassion. And, and, and he, he ran toward his son. Couldn't wait to see him. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. I mean, this is a picture of the great, lavish love of God where the father in this story in Luke chapter 15 is running toward the son is compassionate love, forgiving love, accepting love. Yeah, the kid blew it, squandered all his wealth, slept with prostitutes, fed the pigs, everything that a a father never wants to see his son do. This guy did. The response of the father? Hmm. I'll show you, mister. No. He ran to meet his son. The father in Luke 15 didn't just wait for his son. He, he was watching. For days? For, for weeks? For months? We, we don't know how long it was. The story doesn't tell us how long he was away. But the father was watching. 
he saw him come around the corner at the end of the road. And the father ran to his son. My, my study Bible tells me that running was considered to be undignified for an older person in this day and age. Especially a wealthy landowner like this guy. Completely undignified for him to run down the road. But he didn't give a rip about what anybody else thought. He was in love with his son. He, he ran to his son to, to rescue him, to, to receive him, to welcome him home. He would do anything and everything that he could possibly do or possibly think of to demonstrate to his son that he loved him. Friends, when, when we finally come to our senses and turn back to our Heavenly Father from the wilderness of waywardness, He's waiting for us with open arms. And the picture from Luke 15 is that He doesn't just stand there and wait for us to come. He moves toward us. The king of the universe, the creator of our, of our world, the maker of our family, comes running toward us, filled with compassion and mercy. Doesn't matter where you've been, how long you've been away, who you've been with, how many people you've slept with, or whatever the case may be. The Father's heart is full of compassion for those who turn back toward Him. I love what the songwriter says. You saw my steps. You felt my fears. You heard my cries. You caught my tears. Arms open wide. You ran to me with your mercy. You need mercy today? I do. And he's the one who takes the divine initiative in restoring our relationship. He moves toward us while we're still a long, 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 long way off. He, he starts toward us. He initiates that reconciliation. He, he's the one who starts the ball rolling. And the Apostle Paul says the very same thing in, in Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning of verse 1, he says, You were dead. I mean dead. Did you get that? You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. It doesn't get any worse than that. I mean, you're spiritually dead, dead, dead. Spiritually dead, you're dead. Without life. Dead. But God, verse 4, that strong adversative in the scripture, in the, in the, in the whatever translation, whatever language, but God breaks into the reality of this deadness. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord! Woohoo! Spiritually dead and completely unable and utterly unable to respond to God, we became recipients of the grace of God and the mercy of God. But wait a second, we were dead. Yes, but God quickened us. So it's His initiative. God gave us mercy to repent of our sins. 
The prodigal son, remember, said to, to the father, I've sinned against you, but I've, even more importantly, I've sinned against heaven. And I'm so sorry for that. That was repentance. And that's what many of us need to do today. While the son was receiving mercy, he was repenting. Simultaneously, receiving mercy and repenting. Receiving mercy and repenting. Receiving and repenting. It's a beautiful cycle, scripturally, biblically, theologically, experientially. Receiving mercy and repenting of our sin. We need to do that today. Because He is rich in mercy, we're drawn home to the Father. Back to the Father where we belong. Because He's rich in mercy, we can unload all the garbage that we've been collecting for so long. Because He's rich in mercy, we can express godly sorrow for our sin and He forgives us. Because He is rich in mercy, we can drink deeply from the cup of forgiveness. Because of His rich mercy, we can be saved and set free from the bondage of sin. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Woohoo! Thank you, Lord. Some of you probably know what it's like to wander. Right? Would that be a safe assumption? Some of you may be wandering today. You say, well, I'm, I'm here. Yeah, physically you are here. Your body is here, but your heart might still be in a distant country. Come home today. Come to the Father. Take, take, take that step. Just, just, just come around the, the bend and see if the Father doesn't run toward you. He will. Your heavenly Father is filled with compassion for you. And while you might still be a long way off, He's moving towards you. He's coming your way. In the story that Jesus told, the Father ran toward His Son and the servants came. And he asked for the best robe. And he asked for the gold ring to be placed on the finger of his son. And he, he gave him new sandals to wear. All illustrations of the love and forgiveness and mercy of God. Mm, mm, mm. Paul Griffin tells a story of a time he noticed a sign about a lost dog. The owner was offering... A, a, a cash reward. So there was a, a quite a large cash reward, I might add, for a mangy look no, for a dog. <laughs> and there was a description of the dog underneath the, the picture on the on the telephone post. And, and here's what it said: He's only got three legs. He's blind in the left eye, and he's missing part of his right ear. His tail has been broken off. He was neutered accidentally by a fence. He's almost deaf. And he answers by the name Lucky. <laughs> lucky, I said. That, 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 that dog's not lucky. Are you kidding me? After all he's been through, don't call him Lucky. 
but he is lucky. Because he has an owner who loves him and wants him back. And that is a picture of redemption. That's a picture of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. You also have a father who wants you back. And if you've been wandering for a bit spiritually, just take one step toward him today and he will come running. Luke 15 tells us the story of this prodigal son. And when God shows up, the wayward find mercy. He's here today. I think he showed up, don't you? He's here. And his mercy leads us to repentance. Isn't that what happened with the son? When he experienced the mercy of God, the very first thing that came to his mind, besides getting home, was, I've got to ask my father for forgiveness. And so when he, when he finally saw the whites of his dad's eyes, he said, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. That's repentance. Mercy almost always leads us to repentance. Which, by the way, is not really a common topic. It's not a popular topic in a lot of churches today. Don't talk to people about repentance. You'll scare them off. And they won't give as much. We've got to talk about repentance. If we're going to talk about mercy, we've got to talk about repentance because mercy leads to repentance. And I'm about, I got about two days on you. I've had about two days to, to sit with this message and say, okay, Lord, where do I need to repent? I, I mean, there, there's stuff in your life that needs fixing, right? Some of that is repairable. I mean, you just do what you got to do and it'll get fixed. But some of that stuff is repentable. It's not repairable. It won't get fixed in any way, shape, or form unless you repent and just say, Oh, God, I have sinned against you. So let's do that this morning. Good application of the message. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, first of all, we, can we just say thank you for breaking into our lives again today? and ambushing us with your grace again today. You, you gave us life beyond the grave. Our deepest shame is cast away. You sing a song that covers us, and it's your mercy. We thank you today for your mercy. And Father, some of the people who are listening to this message or listening to my voice now are prodigal sons or daughters of yours. And Lord, I pray that they will come to their senses in this very moment and turn their hearts toward home right now, today. You are waiting for them, Father. You're waiting for us. You're ready for, for us with the best robe of righteousness and a ring of love and a celebration feast. Oh God, let the wayward among us find mercy today. 
Through our repentant faith, may we find times of refreshing that lead us to more faith and more repenting and more of your tender mercy. Lord Jesus, we understand the gospel best when we are face down and palms up before you. Listen to us, Father, as we pray together this prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, the Lord's Prayer, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, it's our great joy to be able to pray these things today as we come in a spirit, an attitude, a heart of repentance and thanksgiving to you, Lord, for moving toward us with a heart full of compassion and embracing us. Oh, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Thank you. It's our great joy to pray in the the highest name, the strongest name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.